0: Make sure you take the right door on your way down. There's no telling where you might end up. Can you make it through to the Night's End? I'll see you soon. (laughs) Welcome back to the Night's End, dear listeners. We take a break from the regular episodes this week on this most auspicious season, Halloween. Thank you all for tuning in. We have four terrifying tales for you over the next four days leading up to the special day. Before we get into it, we'd like to welcome our newest patrons to the fold. We welcome Heinrich von Wolfcastle, whose words graced us in the episode she said her name was spooky. And the patron exclusive episode on Dyer's Eve. If you would like early access to episodes or access to exclusive ones, sign up for as little as a dollar at patreon.com forward slash nightsend podcast. We would also like to welcome Diane Wingett. Thank you so much for your contribution, it is very much appreciated. One last thing before the episode last week's episode, The Boundary Waters was written by the talented Brooke McKenzie. She is graciously holding a competition in celebration of the release. You can win one of two copies of her book, Ghost Games. All you have to do is follow both of our Instagrams, at Night's End Podcast and at MacBrookePro. Please leave a comment on Brooke's Instagram about the episode and tag two friends who you think would enjoy the episode. Without further ado do hope you enjoy this creepy episode. Mordecai. Written by Dan Allen. Narrated by James Barnett. The stairs were narrow. Each step took them farther away from the entrance and into the darkness. Loud thumping shook the house, and the walls vibrated with a rhythmic pulse. Buck covered his ears and froze, unable to take the next step. "'I don't want to,' he said, in a quiet voice that had yet to turn hysterical. Buck's father squeezed him behind and gently coaxed his son along. Behind them, the stairwell filled with people pushing and crowding, desperate to reach the top. "'Come on, Buck. We have to go.' "'I don't want to.' I want to go back. We can't now. There are too many people behind us. We need to keep going, little bear. We're blocking the way. Buck took another step. His tiny knees shook like a trembling rabbit. Ahead, someone screamed. Buck turned back. Keep going, buddy. Buck wrapped his arms around his dad's leg and held on with a firm grip. Jake lifted his son and carried him. At the top floor of the haunted house, they waded through knee-deep green fog. Sounds of a swamp ricocheted off the walls, and an owl's screech competed with a thumping jungle drumbeat. The orange glow of a fire cut through the mist, and a large black kettle boiled over, clearly the source of the fog. A witch jumped from the shadows and pressed her face close to Buck and Jake. Wow, what do we have here? Jake Underwood felt his son's body stiffen as he clung tighter. It's okay, he whispered. What's your name, little boy? The witch paused, giving Buck a chance to respond and perhaps save himself. Seeing that fear paralyzed his ability to speak, she stomped her foot, demanding an answer. Go ahead, tell me your name, son. The witch reached for the boy, her fingers unnaturally long and her nails curled in a hideous gnar. The wart, bent nose, and crooked hat completed a vision that leapt from the pages of a storybook. Buck buried his face in his father's shoulder and locked his arms around his neck. I'm going to throw you in my stew! The witch cackled and let them pass, content <laughs> to torment the next child in line. I told you I didn't want to come. I told you. Buck's bottom lip quivered as small pools gathered below his eyes. Funnelled through a hanging gauntlet of severed legs, Jake hurried towards a crack of sunlight, marking the exit. Car headlights flashed on and raced toward them. Horn blared, and Jake held his breath as he instinctively jumped back. Buck lost his grip and his fingers slipped from his father's hand. The boy slumped to the floor where he sat, flopped on one side like a rag doll. Most of the visitors to the haunted house remarked that the firefighters outdid themselves with the headlight gag. The annual attraction received rave reviews from everyone, with one exception. Solomon defeated, Buck's life would never be the same. The child sat in the back seat and refused to speak during the ride home. Later that evening, Jake entered his room to tuck him in. Want to give your dad a hug goodnight? I do, but I don't, said Buck as he pulled the covers over his head. Night crept towards dawn. Jake awoke to sobbing coming from his son's bedroom. "'I told you not to take him,' Sandra said, clearly displeased. I knew he wasn't old enough to handle a haunted house. "'All right already.' "'No, it's not all right.' "'You know he told me a witch wanted to throw him in the stew?' "'He had tears in his eyes, Jake. "'Not smiles. "'Tears.' "'Come on, Sandy. "'He loves Halloween.' Spooky stuff is part of the festivities. He's old enough to handle it. Just like he was old enough to watch Die Hard because you insisted it was a Christmas movie? Jake honestly forgot about the violence and language when he suggested the film, but he knew better than to make excuses. Whenever Sandra was upset, he'd learn to smile, nod, and keep his mouth shut. Jake found the boy sitting on the floor beside the bed. His hiccup-like sobs punctuated awkward sniffles. What's wrong, little bear? The munches are coming. Buck stared at the wall. His pupils remained undilated when Jake waved a hand in his face. Did you have a bad dream, buddy? You know there are no munches, right? There are munches, Dad. Mordecai told me all about them. two-foot-wide ribbon of morning sun cut through the kitchen and brightened the room. The cat positioned herself perfectly to allow both her head and tail to fit inside the yellow strip of light. Honeycombs? Yes, please, replied Buck, the trauma of the previous day apparently over. Trick or treat is this weekend. Have you decided what you want to be? I could paint your face and make you a vampire. Dad, vampire vampires real? Nobody. They make believe. Do you think maybe some of them are real? Nope. They're only pretend. I don't like vampires. Too scary. I want to be something happy. Happy, eh? How about I put a big yellow ball over your head and paint a smiley face on it? Jake grabbed the boy under his armpit and squeezed his giggle spot. Buck squirmed away laughing. No, dad. I want to be a good guy. A superhero. Superhero? We can do that. Which one? The movie guy. I want to be the Black Panther. Jake nodded. T'Challa. The King of Wakanda. Sounds like a good choice. That evening, Sandra Underwood stood in the hallway with a finger over her lips. Her head was slightly cocked as she squinted. Jake, come here, quick. What is it? Shh, Quiet. Jake, in a pair of boxes, tiptoed across the cold hardwood floor, chilled by the late October weather. He heard talking and shook his head, certain he could make out two voices. No, Mordecai. No, don't want to. But what about the munches? Yes. Yes. Okay. Do you promise? Sandra nudged the bedroom door open to find Buck standing in the corner, bare-chested and wearing only his Spider-Man pyjama bottoms. He faced the wall with his hands behind his back. His eyes were closed, and his head tilted at an awkward angle towards the ceiling. Buck's mouth stayed open and created the perfect illusion of a sleepwalker. No! Mordecai! He screamed, arms flying and little clenched fists swatted at the air. Jake flinched at the sudden outburst, his knees smashing against the half-open door. The boy turned, arms falling to his sides. His eyes opened and he looked at his father. "'I'm late for school,' Buck said. He climbed into his bed and snuggled under the covers. His soft breathing and the gentle rise and fall of the sheets confirmed he was asleep. "'What the hell was that about?' Jake looked at Sandra for an answer. "'You know what that's about, mister.' That's about you forcing a frightened child into a scary haunted house. I didn't exactly make him. Oh, please. You dragged him in and carried him out. Sandra laid overlapping sheets of newspaper on the kitchen floor while Jake washed dirt off a basketball-sized pumpkin. Buck, bring your drawings. It's time to cut this puppy open. The boy presented a crayon sketch of a classic pumpkin face, triangle eyes and nose, jagged teeth, Jake handed his son a cheap steak knife. Carve away. Oh no you don't, Sandra said, taking away the knife and gritting at Jake. You carve, Buck directs. Jake worked his magic and created a perfect Halloween jack-o'-lantern. He went off the menu with the eyes, curving them up in the corners. More cat-like than triangular, and the overabundant teeth ended up resembling pointed fangs. What do you think, Buck old boy? Is that scary or what? I like it, Dad. It looks just like my drawing. Let's say you clean up all the pumpkin guts and I'll get us a candle. Ew, pumpkin guts. Gross, Dad. Jake returned a few minutes later and his mouth fell open. He held the doorframe for support, inhaled deeply, and let out a sigh as Buck, grasping the knife in a firm overhand grip, slashed away at the pumpkin. He stabbed and hacked repeatedly at what remained of the face. Stop! Sandra pushed into the kitchen and grabbed Buck's arm. Why, Buck? Why did you do this? She snatched the knife away and tossed it in the sink. He said the munchers wouldn't like it. He said it was too scary, explained the child. Sandra felt her son's head, checking for a fever. Is this enough festive fun for you, Jake? Jake ignored her question. Who, Buck? Who told you this? Mordecai. "Geez, Dad. Buck, you destroyed all of our work. Now we won't have a jack-o'-lantern for Halloween. The boy shrugged, jumped up and scurried away, leaving the shredded pieces of a masterpiece for Jake to clean up. Dad, Buck called from another room. What's a turnip? It's a vegetable, son. Jake mumbled, his mind not on the question. They're no good either, Buck said. Buck shifted from one foot to the other, and checked the street for the tenth time. He moved around with the anxious fidgeting of a little boy who needs to pee. Come on, Dad, let's go. I see kids out already. Buck, dressed like a black cat, went as a superhero as planned. Jake thought he looked more like Batman with claws, but wasn't going to spoil the kids' fun. An impossibly large harvest moon illuminated the annual game of dress-up and blackmail. They hit the streets while a smidgen of pale blue sky clung to western horizon. Buck was determined to accumulate the world's biggest pile of candy. Jake zipped up his jacket and kept his hands in his pockets. He should have selected something warmer. The first hour passed quickly, as dusk surrendered to evening. Your bag getting too heavy? Jake asked. No way, not even close. I'm not giving in until we visit the big house up the hill. Oak Street twisted and turned as it rose to the crest, an unforgiving climb but well worth the effort. The estate homes ranking the ascent offered far better candy than the townhouses below. The barren trees, their leaves having fallen off weeks earlier, looked dead. Jake could see into the backyards normally camouflaged with foliage, and envied the multi-tiered decks and in-ground pools. An unusual gust of cold air swept through the street. Buck stopped suddenly. Frozen in the center of the sidewalk. Tumbling leaves spun around his feet and switched directions at will. I'm big enough, Buck said. I can do it, Mordecai. I promise. Who's Mordecai? Your imaginary friend? Jake was concerned, but the boy ran towards a darkened house. The driveway held no cars and the property bore no decorations. Buck reached the door within seconds where a little clown holding a semi deflated balloon waited patiently for someone to answer. Nobody home there, Buck. Go to the Wilsons. It's the next one over. A miniature Spider-Man and an even smaller ninja followed Buck to the Wilson driveway. A group of teenagers, in minimal costumes and without masks, busily gorged themselves on treats from their booty. They stepped aside to allow the little ones a clear path to the door, where a scarecrow sat propped up in a lawn chair. Weathered straw hung from his boot tops the waist of his denim jeans and the sleeves of his red lumber jacket. Jake felt suspicious about the scarecrow and moved closer. The teenagers, aware of what was about to happen, shuffled positions for a better view. Hidden speakers began to play an off-key version of the tension-inducing Jack-in-a-box song about a monkey chasing a weasel. The eerie music further unnerved Jake. Mrs. Wilson answered the door. She took one look at Buck and dropped the candy bowl. You're not supposed to be here, she said in a deep, angry voice, much unlike her own. Trick or treat, said Spider-Man. Oh my, I I don't know what came over me, Mrs. Wilson said in her normal, pleasant voice while bending over to retrieve a dozen tiny bags of chips. Now, what do we have here? The kids added to their haul and said thanks. Jake flinched at the movement of a gloved hand and, still too distant to warn the children, watched as the scarecrow abruptly stood. Happy Halloween, you little rascals, Mr. Wilson said, and he removed his scarecrow hat. The ninja cried, but Buck held it together and remained composed. Gee whiz, Mr. Wilson, you really scared us good. You kids have fun tonight, and be safe. As Jake and Buck headed up the hill toward the next house, Jake noticed a boy approaching. He was the same size as Buck, but his face looked much older. He wore a burlap bag like a dress. His eyes were dark and sunken. Long dirty hair flowed down the sides of his face and over his shoulders. Creepy costume, Jake thought. The boy drew closer and Jake saw the dirty bare feet, stained fingers and unclipped nails. Hey, it's too chilly to be walking around with bare feet. You're going to catch a cold, Jake said. The boy stopped a few feet in front of them. A small gust ruffled his hair. Swirling leaves and the smell of rotting apples followed. He carried no candy sack, but held a cloth doll by the arm, letting the rest of it drag on the ground. You live around here? Jake asked. Although he felt the urgent tug on his pant leg, Jake ignored Little Buck and stayed focused on the urchin-like stranger. The urchin said nothing, but slowly opened a black, toothless mouth and smiled. He raised a hand with four equally long fingers and no thumb. The strange child pointed over Jake's head and down the hill. A black curtain crept out of the shrinking horizon and slowly began to absorb everything in its path. Sidewalks and houses, lawns and driveways, all flickered like a heat mirage and were swallowed up. The curtain was not exactly a black hole, but more like an all-consuming entity that left nothing behind but an imageless void. Jake heard the distant sucking sound, the slurping and crunching. Underground pipes moaned and twisted as they were pulled from the ground and electrical wires sparked for a brief second before vanishing into the advancing emptiness. A whiff of ozone hung in the air for only a moment before it, too, was consumed and sanitized into nothing. Jake stood frozen in place, his mouth hanging open, and watched the void creep closer. He wanted to run, but couldn't decide where to go. Buck remained calm as if watching the city bus approach instead of the end of the world. He tugged harder on his father's pant leg, Jake finally looked down at his son. Munches, Buck said, with the seriousness of someone much older. He squeezed his father's hand. "'Come on, Dad.' The urchin blocked their path. He began taking exaggerated steps backward, easily outpacing Jake and his son. He smiled, and his lips curved over his gums, creating the illusion of an exceptionally long chin. He slowed so the father and son could close the distance, and as soon as they were within an arm's reach, the urchin spat on young Buck. Hey kid, what the hell are you doing? Jake lunged for the gutter snipe, but the urchin fled darting up the hill and dissipating into the night. His laughter trailed behind, forced and exaggerated, bouncing from one side of the street to the other, until it, too, faded away with one last whisper and an echo. The streetlights blinked dim, then bright, and finally settled on fading out completely. The lights in the homes lining the hill shut off in a rolling sequence. A dark purple glow covered the neighbourhood, in a silent dome. No leaves rustled on the sidewalk. The air remained still. Jake looked pale and stumbled near collapse. The blood drained from his face and his shirt stuck to his back. cold breeze rippled over his arm hair and he could hear his own pulse. Not now, damn it! Keep it together. Keep it together. He talked himself out of the panic attack and focused on his son. You okay, Buck? Jake saw his own breath. Damn chill stung his cheek. We don't have much time, Dad. The silence was uncanny. No traffic. No excited cries of children trick or treating. It all disappeared with the house lights. Only the orange glow from candles in carefully carved pumpkins escaped the blackout. They made an eerie contrast to the purple air. Where did everybody go? Jake, stunned and confused, dragged his feet and looked heavenward. The oversized moon no longer brightened the sky, and even the stars refused to show themselves. Buck tugged on his dad's wrist and tried to keep him moving along. Crunching sounds, stomping like an industrial press, chattered the silence and startled Jake back into action. They continued moving through the purple fog, following the light, escaping from pumpkins standing sentry on each doorstep. Their carved faces, no longer smiling, now appeared sinister and snarling. As Buck and his dad passed each driveway, the flame inside the jack-o'-lantern bent itself between crooked teeth and stretched downhill, creating a long thread of fire. The void sucked it in, stealing the heat and light. The extinguished pumpkin rolled itself to the curb in preparation for the imminent black curtain. Pick up your feet, Buck. We need to go faster, Jake said, fully aware of the danger bearing down on them. A beacon glowed from the crest of the hill. A lone flame waved from a candle, propped in the grand window of the Miller Mansion. The house predated the rest of the subdivision by a century, and its position above the valley commanded a powerful view. This way, Dad! Run! Cement crumbled and broke apart, releasing billowing clouds of toxic dust that nipped at their heels. The Miller's driveway pitched and rolled like an ocean wave. Jake hoisted his boy up with one arm. He struggled to keep his balance and ascended the front steps with a drunken stagger. Not an eyelash of light escaped from the slightly open double French doors. Jake dove headfirst into the unknown. Buck landed atop him as they slid over the marble floor. Once across the threshold, the foyer sparkled to life under the umbrella of a fabulous chandelier. At the bottom of the grand staircase stood an old man dressed in a tailed tuxedo, with a maroon ascot in place of a tie. His white hair cascaded over his shoulders, and his long arms bent back awkwardly at the elbows. He was tall, and hovered over Buck and his dad. An image of a praying
1: mantis flashed through Jake's mind. I am Mordecai, master of this humble abode. You are Jake Underwood, I presume? Buck, I have met. I must say, Governor, you spared no time getting here. Cut it mighty damn close, if you ask me.
0: Mordecai closed the thick oak doors and turned the center deadbolt. The world-eater paused its advance and the blackness waited at the edge of the property line. As if angered by the delay, storm clouds formed and circled the mansion. Gale-force winds whistled as they revved up and ripped at the outer walls. The front picture window rattled in its old wooden frame, and a small crack skated from a corner, sliced across the glass, and threatened to spill out a waterfall of shards. The lonely candle flame, still burning, flickered,
1: and swayed in a dance all its own. What have you done, Jake? Look at the destruction you have caused, Mordecai offered Jake a hand
0: and pulled him from the floor. Mordecai's grip was strong for an old man, and Jake felt uncomfortable in his presence. Despite the sanctuary of his home, Jake disliked the lanky elder and was suspicious maybe even jealous of Buck's apparent infatuation with him Jake studied his son and watched as the boy removed his panther costume and folded neatly on a wingback chair why'd you take off your costume Buck it's not time for trick-or-treats dad isn't that right Mordecai in the far corner a familiar rag doll sat slumped headfirst against the baseboard Buck scurried over and retrieved it panel slid open and a four-fingered hand grabbed the boy's collar, pulled him behind the wall. Jake charged to the spot and slapped at the panelling, desperate to locate the secret door. Finding nothing, he pounded on the wood and screamed, Mordecai! Where is my son? Mordecai! The veins in Jake's neck bulged as he spat out the words. He turned to face the white-haired man, but Mordecai was gone. You torment your children with stories of monsters. Mordecai's voice came from above and echoed in the empty room. Jake stood alone, staring at the ceiling and he heard a second voice. I'm here, dad. Over here. Jake ran into the adjoining room, a study with a double-wide fireplace. The hearth was cold and unused.
1: You entertained them with programs depicting violence and slaughter.
0: Mordecai's voice again came from above but it sounded even farther away than the
1: ceiling. Buck! Can you hear me? Jake called. You dress them up and take them to dark places of make-believe. Exposing them to cult-like activities.
0: I'm here, Dad! Help me!
1: Activities that worship the dead and celebrate evil.
0: Jake watched the contours of the ceiling and followed them into a library. The walls lined with leather-bound books and the shelf edges lined with dust.
1: How much can their little minds sustain, Mr. Underwood? How much, I ask you?
0: Here, Dad! This way! Buck's voice called from farther away, and Jake backtracked to a sitting room beyond the front hall.
1: You exposed your boy to powerful entities. Dark and evil forces. Humans are so reckless with their children.
0: It's only Halloween,
1: whispered Jake. Your son prayed to them, in his fear. He begged them to take it away. The costumes, the haunted houses, the wicked jack-o'-lanterns. All of it, Mr. Underwood. All of Halloween. The people, the buildings, everything.
0: Mordecai's voice sounded closer now, and Jake followed it back to the grand foyer. He found the conjurer standing exactly where he saw him last. The mantis-like man approached with an awkward jerk as if his legs slightly preceded his body. The rest of him struggled to catch up before his legs moved again. He slinked from the corner and stood by the banister, his old wrinkled eyes now twinkling and boring directly into Jake. Give me my son, Jake demanded. Mordecai raised a hand and gestured to
1: the front yard. This is his wish, his world. But you created it, Mr. Underwood. You set it in motion and enabled it to happen. I'm sure you had a part to play, you bastard. Ordecai
0: shrugged and lowered his head to hide a smile. There must be something I can do.
1: Jake spoke aloud and to himself, but his words carried. You can do nothing. Only your son has the power to send them away. But he must do it alone, without you.
0: Fair enough, Jake said, not knowing for sure what he intended to do and not willing to promise anything to the Mantis. The gale picked up to hurricane force and the windows imploded, spraying needles of glass into Victorian-era wallpaper. The candle, its flame extinguished, fell to the floor sliced in half. The storm rumbled louder than anything Jake had experienced, and the sound left him concussed. Lightning flashed within the house, directly above the grand staircase. Buck materialized on the steps and tumbled the rest of the way down. He came to rest at his father's feet, none the worse for wear. Thanks for finding me, Dad. Jake smiled and nodded. I didn't find you. Not really, he thought. Buck marched towards the exit, fully confident in what he was about to do. The French doors split and opened themselves. Freeing air blasted into the room, and the force pinned Jake to the wall. could only watch as his little boy fought his way down the driveway. The wind pulled at the child's clothes and squeezed the skin flat on his cheeks. Jake's heart ripped open, and he made a move to chase after his son. Come back, Buck! He yelled, but the words were lost in the storm. Fingers pinched Jake's shoulder the nails pressing through his jacket and holding him firm. A shadow loomed above him and Jake felt warm breath upon his neck. "You must go alone, Governor, Mordecai shouted in his ear, loud enough to be heard over the gale. Buck stood in front of the endless void, hands on his hips. Unintimidated, he pointed to the left and then to the right. Jake could see Buck's lips moving, but the wind obscured any meaning. The boy threw his hands in the air as if he were releasing invisible doves. A chill crept around Jake's collar and spread across his back. He shivered with fear. Dread weighed him down, anchoring him in place. Buck turned his head towards his father and shrugged. No Buck, don't do it! The boy either couldn't hear or chose not to. Eyes closed. He raised his arm and punctured the wall with a single finger. An explosion of light ripped apart the dark fabric of the curtain, shredding it into specks of stardust, scattering it like a 4th of July flare. Violent winds continued to circle, and they rose above the mansion, twisting themselves into a tire funnel, before vanishing into the atmosphere. For a second, there was silence. Someone screamed. A silly, happy scream. A full moon illuminated a street filled with children dressed in colourful costumes. Pirates, witches and zombies crisscrossed the road to carry out their candy-collecting chores. A stream of leaves chased one another over the pavement and swirled around Jake's legs. He smiled and released a lung full of stale air. All was right in the world. Buck came running to him and he went down on a knee to embrace his son. Jake's eyes watered and threatened to leak, his emotions overflowed with pride and relief. Buck bypassed his dad, heading instead toward the open French doors. What are you doing? Don't go back in there, Buck! Come back! I have to, Dad. I forgot my costume. The doors snapped shut behind the boy. Jake remained unmoving and held his head. He mumbled a mantra. Come back. Come back come back and prayed for his son's return moments later the doors opened and jake's happy little black panther appeared dressed and ready to resume the fun buck bounced around and shifted from foot to foot he tugged on jake's pant leg and pointed to a whimsical group of princesses decked out in flowing pastel colored dresses with matching ribbons in their hair jake looked back at the miller estate silhouetted by the yellow glow of the impossibly large harvest moon and glimpsed something in an upstairs window. He thought maybe the curtain moved and a hand slapped the glass, or maybe it only waved. Did you see that? He asked Buck, but the boy shook his head. Beneath the superhero costume, sunken eyes glowed like embers, and sharp claws from a thumbless hand poked through the black jungle cat gloves. Trick or treat whispered the urchin. You've been listening to the Night's End Podcast, which is a production of Dissonance Media. Mordecai was written by Dan Allen. For more from this terrific writer, head to danallenhorror.com. Narration was performed by James Barnett. For more from James, head to jamesbarnettcreative.com. As always, stay horrific, everyone.